and I think about this all the time, if I have to spend the rest of my life in prison for a crime I didn't commit, I need the world to know what happened and how it happened. Injustice Anywhere presents Snow Files, the wrongful conviction of Jamie Snow and how they got away with it. Episode 17, Be Afraid, Be Very Afraid, McLean County Correctional Officer, Mary Burns. The mission of the Snow Files podcast is to expose the misconduct of the state's attorney's office under Charles Renard. It is not our intention in any way to disparage the current state's attorney's office or the Bloomington Police Department. I guess we're going to talk about Mary Jane Burns. Mary was a correctional officer uh, that worked in the in the McLean County Jail when I was in there. I had actually put Mary Burns on the uh, defense witness list uh, because you know she had told me that you know she had talked to Jody Winkler. Uh, and that, you know, Jody Winkler had told her, you know, look, you know, these detectives are trying to, you know, pressure me into, you know, coming up with some information, you know, on Jamie because I used to live with him down in Florida. But, uh, you know, I really don't know anything about it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what to do, you know. And, you know, and he's telling her he had kids and, and whatnot and, you know, all that. And, and so that's really why I had put her on the list in the first place, but Frank Pitzel and uh, Pat Riley never did go talk to her. So, like a week before my trial, you know, Mary had gotten herself into a situation when she was in the county jail, when she was working in there as, a, as an officer, she had become involved in an intimate relationship with an inmate while she was a, while she was a, a correctional officer. She was, she actually became engaged to the guy while she was, while she was still working. It was the worst kept secret, you know, that her and this guy was, you know, was carrying on. The rumor was, you know, from some of the other officers that worked that worked in the county jail was that she had been she had been forced to resign, you know, in order to avoid any sort of a uh, an investigation into what was going on because having a relationship with, with an inmate where you're a, a correctional officer is, is actually a felony. It's called official misconduct. So, you know, she resigned and she was gone like a week before my trial. I mean, like a week before my trial, my lawyers bring me this, this statement, you know, that all of a sudden Mary Burns has this statement to give. And basically, you know, she was saying, you know, not that I had told her that... I had committed the crime, but that, you know, I thought maybe I knew who did. And she, you know, related this story that, you know, I had told her this and that and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the officers that were interviewing her was like, you know, was there anybody else there? Was there anybody else present when you and Jamie were having this conversation? And she said, yeah, there was a guy named Darren Smart and a guy named Demetrius Christ were both uh, present when this was, was going on. And she said, I think it was Darren. Darren said, you know, if you know who 
you you know who did it? Why aren't you telling your 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 uh, your lawyers this? You know, and and she said that I got you know kind of freaked out by that or whatever, and I and, and, and I walked off. Now you have to remember, all this took place a week before my trial. She also said that she had told her immediate supervisor, who was a sergeant in the county jail, about this conversation. His name was uh, Chris Salmon. So we're trying to locate locate uh, uh, Chris to see whether or not he'll talk to us. But um, which I had later, you know, after I'd gotten this this uh, this report, you know, I, I went to you know the Sar- sergeant Salmon and I was like, you know, if the detectives come to talk to you, and and he was like, yeah, you know, they they came to talk to me, and, and I told them that you know this this never happened. That you know, had it have happened, had she have told me that, I would have wrote a report. So. You know, they want to check that aspect of her story out, and it did check out, and they've never told us about it, which Pat and Frank, Pat and Frank should have went and talked to uh, Chris Hammond, but, you know, the state has an obligation and duty to turn over. If they go to check it out and find out that it's not correct, they have a duty to disclose it, they didn't. So, from the time she gave that statement, they went, the detectives went and talked to Darren Smart in Pontiac, at Demetrius Christ in, in State Middle Correctional Center. So they, they went and talked to uh, both of them. And Darren has given us an affidavit and and, uh, and said that, you know, when they came and talked to him, that, you know, he told them, no, it never happened. And then uh, they went and talked to Demetrius uh, in Stateville, and, and he uh, he also told them that it didn't happen. and. And they had actually offered, you know, Demetrius has a pretty lengthy prison sentence. He's got three 20-year prison sentences run consecutive to each other, so that's like 60 years. One of the detectives, I think it was Dan Katz, said that uh, they could take one of his consecutive sentences and run a concurrent, you know, which would have effectively knocked off 18 and a half years of his sentence. And, you know, that is, is kind of telling because that's exactly what they did with Bruce Rowland. Uh, they took his consecutive sentences and ran one concurrent. And that's what Kat had done with the state attorney in uh, Eric Drew's case. They had uh, gotten this guy all kinds of deals on his, his uh, criminal cases. So, you know, they, they, they threatened Demetrius with transferring to another prison. And while they were um, interviewing Demetrius, I guess, you know, they one of the things they do here in They'll, they'll be like, you know, have you ever been to Menard? You know, have you ever been to Menard? You know, nobody wants to go to Menard because Menard is like in as far south uh, as you can possibly get. It's hot, um, and it's it's really a, a much more uh, violent prison. So nobody wants to go to Menard, and they always use that as a threat. Have you ever been to Menard? So, you know, they were telling him, you know, have you ever been to Menard? And so on and so forth and uh, after he basically told him you know look I don't know anything about it he never talked to you know he never said anything about that the, the conversation that Mary Burns is saying took place never took place and you know after, after he you know basically told him no it, it didn't happen shortly after they left they did actually ship him to Menard and you know he was in Menard for a dozen years before he could finally get out of there you know, and that's, that's reminiscent of what they did to Mark McCowan. You know, they put him in SAG. You know, reminiscent of what they did to Ed Palumbo, threatening him with uh, whatever they were threatening him with. So, I mean, it's, it's, 
far for their horses. It's what they did. But you know what was really telling about the whole Mary Burns story was that you know she came. This this story just popped up a week before the trial. She tells them this story. Yeah, Jamie told me. You know, blah 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 blah. Told Chris Sam and Darren Smart was there for the conversation. Demetrius Kreitz was there for the conversation. She tells the story. The detectives and the state attorneys go and they talk to these three people. These three people say that it didn't happen. These are three independent people. They're not connected to each other, you know. All three of them say, no, you know, that never happened. The very first thing that Mary Burns did when she got on the stand was she said, you know, I have to recant my earlier statement. It was just me and Jamie there for this conversation. Had Frank and Pat have done their job, had they have went and talked to Chris Salmon, had they have went and talked to Demetrius, had they went and talked to Darren, they would have known that, you know, all three of these people were denying that this this conversation took place. And it would have really shined a, you know, a huge spotlight and and would have been a major red flag for, you know, the entirety of her testimony. I mean she gave a statement a week earlier they went and checked it out and uh, everything that you know she said that involved other people being a part of the, the, the conversation they checked it out it didn't check out it didn't happen so their strategy or her I, I would say their strategy was to you know just say okay you know you, you, these other people weren't there I mean how how else I mean put, putting two and two together is just it's clear I mean it's Mary Burns was a correctional officer in McLean County, while Jamie and Susan were awaiting trial. As Jamie stated, he requested Burns to be put on the defense witness list because Burns had told Jamie that Jody Winkler told her that police were putting pressure on him to give them information about the case. Unfortunately, Jamie's attorneys Pitzel and Riley never interviewed Burns, but the state's attorney Renard and Detective Katz did, just a little over a week before trial. Interestingly, the recording wasn't turned over during the Freedom of Information Act requests. However, the transcript was. Burns stated she had booked Susan in September of 1999 when she was arrested on this case. She said Susan told her she was pregnant and told Burns directly that she didn't have anything to do with this murder, and that she doesn't understand why Jamie would lie about that because she doesn't ever remember driving in a car anywhere with Jamie. Burns went on to say that Susan had told her between six to ten times within three to four days that she never drove Jamie anywhere. She continued to say that she had several conversations with Jamie during that time. The first occurred in late March or early April 2000. Jamie was sitting at her desk with two other inmate workers present, Darren Smart and Demetrius Kreit, and he told Burns that he remembers an early evening joyriding in a car with Susan driving, another female up front, and a male in the back with himself, and he might know who did the crime. Burns said she warned him that she would have to tell anything he said to her because she was a correctional officer. She said Jamie continued that he asked the driver to pull over 
so he could get sick in an alley behind the Clark gas station, and the mail left for a little while, and then came back. She said he read about the murder in the paper the next morning, so he thought the other mail did it. She said that Darren Smart asked him if he knew who did it, and why wasn't he telling his lawyer. She said Jamie then ended the conversation and went back to his cell. Burns told police in this interview that she had several other conversations with Jamie, talking about different aspects of the case. However, these were not mentioned in her testimony. Police then went on to speak to both Darren Smart and Demetrius Kreit in an attempt to corroborate Burns' information. However, both of them denied that the conversation had ever taken place. But you guessed it. They put Burns on the stand anyway. A little over a week later, on January 9, 2001, Burns took the stand in Jamie's trial. She talked about how she was a McLean County Correctional Officer from April 1998 to August 2000, only two and a half years. And at that time, she testified that she was also employed as a security guard. While employed as a correctional officer, she worked the overnight shift. She went on to make an in-court identification of Jamie Snow. Burns talked about how they got along very well when he was a pod worker and that she had a conversation with him between the end of March and the 1st of April, but not the differences in her accounting. Burns seems to recant her previous statements with this answer while testifying at Jamie's trial. It was myself and Jamie and at least one other pod worker. I believe it was Lindsay Caldwell or Darren Smart. And what it entailed was, in fact, I want to recant. It was just Jamie and I at this particular conversation. And was it was, he had said that he had been recalling some memories. And he said he remembers one time him and Susan, Susan Claycomb Powell, and two other individuals who he didn't mention their names had gone out. They had been drinking all day and decided to go for a ride, and I was a little concerned. That's right. Burns literally recanted on the stand during trial and stated that it was only she and Jamie there during that conversation. Burns continued, recounting the alleged story from the initial interview about there being two females in the front and him and another male in the back. They pulled in the alley, Jamie got sick, and the other male went into the store, then stated that Jamie said he read about the murder the next day in the paper. Burns stated several months later they had another conversation, and Lindsay Caldwell was present when Jamie allegedly told a story about running from the police in Ohio. She stated at the time she found it amusing. Burns testified that she told a senior officer, Chris Salmon, about both conversations, but she didn't believe that he wrote a report. There were no surprises on Pitzel's cross-examination. He basically said the same thing he did with every witness in the case. Instead of defending Jamie, he asked if Jamie was trying to impress either her or Lindsay when he asked, what kind of man would I be if I didn't run? Instead of asking her why she recanted a trial, he asked her if Jamie reported to her that he had shot Bill Little or reported to her that he had robbed the Clark gas station. The only decent thing Pitzel did was to bring out that Burns stated 
that she reported both conversations to Senior Officer Chris Salmon, but then he never attempted to interview Officer Salmon or any of the others. Pitzel never even bothered to even explore the worst-kept secret in McLean County Jail, which was that Burns was having a relationship with an inmate. As a law enforcement officer, she could have gone to prison for that. Pitzel didn't bother to ask her why she, as a former corrections officer, was now a security officer. Why the demotion? Why did she quit? The state withheld evidence that they spoke with both Darren Smart and Demetrius Crite prior to trial. The state's withholding of that evidence denied Jamie his due process right to a fair trial. That information was favorable to Jamie and could have been used on cross-examination to undermine the credibility of Burns as well as the integrity of this entire case. We cannot emphasize enough the credibility of the state's witnesses in this case was the linchpin in securing the conviction against Jamie Snow. This case rose and fell based on a credibility determination of the state's witnesses by the jury. Furthermore, Jamie's attorneys failed miserably to properly prepare for this witness. They should have first interviewed the witnesses claimed in her original statement. They have an obligation to investigate the claims of state witnesses. It was impossible for them to make informed decisions concerning trial strategy for Burns. They could have easily impeached her with her changing story and the timing. But the jury never heard any of this. The jury saw a McLean County Corrections officer on the stand, an upstanding citizen with absolutely no reason to lie. On September 23, 2003, Darren Smart signed an affidavit stating that Jamie's attorney never contacted him before trial. He stated that never at any time did Jamie Snow ever say to him or anyone in front of him that he knew who committed the murder of Bill Little. He went on to say that Jamie only ever told him that he did not do it and that he told detectives the same thing when they came to see him before trial. We also reached out to Demetrius Kreit, who agreed to an interview. Demetrius stated that detectives visited him in Stateville, where he was serving three consecutive 20-year sentences. He said police mentioned reward money, offered him a concurrent sentence on one of the charges, and when he wouldn't corroborate Byrne's story, threatened to send him to Menard Prison. So did he talk to you about his case? Did he tell you whether he was guilty or not? Uh, no, because I never really asked him, you know, asked him about it because, you know, I was always talking to him. Really not none of my business whether he did it or not. So, but he, the only thing he's ever told me was he didn't do it. And in my opinion, I believe it. And was that, was that in county that he told yes, you ma'am. that? Okay. Yeah, it was in county when I was talking about it. Did you know a guard named Mary Burns? Like a book. She, oh, okay. uh, she was dating uh, she was dating a guy who was working with her and uh they were having like a I guess you'd call it a uh a, a relationship yeah, I guess I'd call it a relationship. Actually uh, I know they were engaged and some other stuff that was going on while while she was still working there and he was still in jail. So 
the rumor was that she was supposed to um, had to resign, right? She was forced to resign. Uh, this was after I left, anyway, you know, which the uh, rumor was. I kept in contact. I don't know if Jamie's ever been to Mary Matthews. She's, uh, she's passed now. Yeah. But I keep in contact with her. You know, she was more like a godmother. But she uh, she basically just used to tell us that, yeah, they, they forced her to get, you know, to resign because they found out they were messing around and actually got engaged, I think. And I might I'm not sure they got married, but in order to avoid like some sort of investigation into, you know, what was going on with them. I mean, so she told you that she was having an, a, a relationship? No, she didn't have to tell. I mean, it was obvious, you know. I mean, sometimes, you know, like, late at night when we had to clean up the pot or whatever. I mean, two people just don't disappear for 20, 30 minutes at a time. And you come back, somebody comes back a little disheveled or whatever. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the bright bulb in the, in the whole packet, but I can flow easy. Yeah, it was coming off, basically, yeah. Okay. You know, and I don't think she really tried to hide it much from, you know, from the people that she kind of, uh, kind of, sort of, like, you know, knew who were, it was obvious, too, you know. Did any officers ever tell you anything, or was this just talk among the inmates? No, oh, uh, like I said, Mary Matthew let me know that she, uh, she, she had to, uh, that Mary Burns had to resign. Because she was, uh, you know, based trying to avoid investigation and, and, and go do a lot of other mess with her. Okay. So, was there a time when when you were visited by detectives when you were in Stateville? Can you yeah, tell me about I, that? Yeah, there was uh, one time they came up. It was like they, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I think it's Cat, one of them, name is like Bernard or something like that. Was the other one. But uh, they offered uh, they offered me uh, a time cut to uh, to run my time together. And actually, if they was done at dinner, I would have said, "Yeah, I, I know something about it. I'll probably be out right now. I'm getting ready to go out in about eight or nine years." I, I mean, I don't know, but I just basically told them, you know, "F all, then you wasted your time coming up here asking me questions like that because Jamie never told me anything. I wouldn't ever, I would never do that to him." You know, at that time, you had what three twenty-year consecutive three twenty-year sentences. Yeah, that's what I had. And then they yeah. they offered you. Did they offer the you a time cut? They they asked to run the other one concurrent, the, the, the third one, one of the twenty concurrent with one, with one. So that would have gave me forty years. 
but like I said, I've already done 120, so I'd be on my way out now in about nine years. But like I said, I wouldn't even even if I did, I, that's just not my character, and I wouldn't I wouldn't do it. I don't give a damn if you offering me, you know, to get out tomorrow. That's just oh, I have a conscience, and, and you know, I just I wouldn't I wouldn't feel right doing something to somebody who I know I'm guilty. Well, what exactly did they offer you? You said they talked about reward money. Was it, I mean, was that a direct offer or did they, like, how did that come about? Said, you know, no, it wasn't a direct offer, but, you know, they said, you know, there's a reward out for information leading to his conviction. And I told them, fuck off, honestly. I can't remember the exact amount of money, but I know they were offering a reward. And also, they, like, like I said, they, they, you know, they cut one of my sentences. You know, I would have to say 18, they basically cut like 18 and a half years off. And I, and I just looked at him and I told him he wasted a trip. And they, I don't understand why they can't see that she was, she was covering her own eyes. In the end, they did in fact send Demetrius to Menard. Had he said what they wanted him to say, he would have had 18 and a half years knocked off of his sentence. That's incredible. We also got the chance to speak with Lindsay, who said that Jamie never said that he committed the crime. In fact, Jamie said the opposite, and Jamie also never said that he knew who committed the crime. Do you remember having any conversations on at Mary Burns' cubicle with maybe Darren Smart and Demetrius Crite and Jamie? Uh, basically, we, well, I mean, we was all over that pod. I mean, it was something they just built, so uh, we wandered all over the place. I could have been standing anywhere. Uh, but I was at that desk a couple of times. There a few people that might have been standing around at any given moment. I talked to Jamie more than once uh, while I was locked up there. Uh, but I really didn't know him at first, you know, I sat down and uh, I got to know him, you know, he played ping pong and I, I, was, I was interested in ping pong at the time and I, I think that's where we kind of became friends and, and, you know, talked about cases and stuff. So you talked about the case, did he ever tell you that he committed the crime? No, he was, he was set on, he did not do that for sure, he felt like he was being set up. Uh, a lot of stuff in his motion didn't, wasn't, like, fitting, ends wasn't meeting, I guess you could say. Uh, you know, he was going through that motion and highlighting a few things, and it seemed like, uh, to him, like the police was setting him up, or the state was trying to basically, uh, use him as the, the main, uh, uh, suspect. So he never said, did he ever say that he knew who committed the crime? No, he, he never mentioned that either. Uh, and, uh, and it was so long ago we had a conversation, it's kind of vague to me now, but right. uh, we both know where the location was at, and, and it was right down the street from the high school I used to go to. That's how I knew where that gas station was, which eventually they ended up tearing down. Yeah, uh, just a lot of like the, the witnesses, uh, just people that already had, had already basically didn't like Jamie to 
begin with, and those are basically the people that they interviewed, and it was like, uh, you know, it was already kind of like premeditated, you know what I mean? So, did the police ever come to talk to you? No, there's no police ever come to talk to me. What did you think of Mary Burns? Did you know her? Yeah, I, I met her. She was a nice CEO. Uh, she was nice and friendly and kind to us and stuff. Um, I didn't know her that well either. Uh, I just started talking to her, and uh, a lot of times I was getting a lot of visits during that time. But, uh, my family was really concerned about my well-being there and you know my outcome, so they came and visited me a lot. And she would let me like stay over maybe an extra ten minutes or fifteen minutes. And you didn't know anything about, you just saying that there was gossip about Mary Burns, but you didn't know anything directly about the situation with her? No, I didn't, I didn't know anything, like, being a fact. You know, I just, you know, a lot of gossip in the county, you know, everybody got their own opinion about everything, but I thought she was a nice person, regardless of what anybody else said about her. You know, I, I judge people for who they are, not what people say about them. Right. And is there anything else that you can tell me or you remember about any any of this or you just... You know, in, in the long run, I just thought that, you know, the way he had, had mentioned it and the way my motion was going, it made me look through my motion, actually. And that kind of helped me with, with another case that I was working on. And I went through my motion just like he had went through his and highlighted a few things that I thought should be uh, cross-reference during court. Uh, Jamie was a, a lot of help to me. Uh, he was a good guy, as far as I was concerned. Um, he didn't seem like the kind of person that would do something like that. I was far-fetched. I mean, so many, so many people and, and so many police uh, uh, just point fingers directly at him without doing detective work and, and, and looking at the real facts of the case. I mean, I read it in the paper. Uh, as far as what the paragraph had put in there, uh, I didn't know who the victim was or anything like that or how the circumstances except for how the paper had put it in there, but uh, we just say what they had printed was fact either. You know, sometimes even the paper here gets everything twisted. Do you know Demetrius Cright and Darren Smart? Do you remember them? Uh, I don't know them personally. Um, okay. Most of the guys during that time, uh, yeah, I was kind of new to being locked up. Um, I just, you know, I, I basically was going off of, uh, you know, people's character and, and, you know, how they handled their demeanor and, and what was really in their heart, you know. Um, if I was hanging out with anybody, you know, I felt like they were some good guys, you know, as far as I felt about them, my opinion about them. You know, we were just, in a place at the wrong time, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure nobody wanted to be in there at all, and we was all going through our own personal struggles. Tam, so just to recap, is Jamie saying this conversation never occurred and that Mary is making it up? Or is he saying that she is adding information into a casual conversation that they were accustomed to having? Well, Jamie is saying it never occurred and that Mary is making it up. That's right. I'm sure they had conversations, but as Demetrius stated, 
they didn't really talk about their cases and certainly not in any depth. Um, Demetrius does recall Jamie saying that he didn't do it, but there were no long conversations about the case, according to Jamie and Demetrius. Was this possibly another incident of Jamie talking about the bus station robbery and Mary changing the incident from robbery to murder, as we have seen with several of the other witnesses so far? No, Jamie wasn't involved in the bus station robbery. That was at Palumbo and Mike Keneally. Um, She may have heard rumors, but I think that was the extent of it. I, I mean, if the pattern holds true, the cops gave her the information, right? I mean, if this is if she's lying, then the cops probably told her what she needed to say. She was obviously fed the information from the police. Right. Like everybody else was. Like we've seen many times. Were you or anyone on Jamie's defense ever able to verify any of the legal trouble Mary Burns was having in 2000? Not concrete verification like in you know, on paper, we've been told by several people that it was well known that she was having an affair with an inmate. Demetrius even said he kept up with Mary Matthews. Um, She was another CO from McLean County and that, that Mary Matthews told him directly that she was in trouble for this. But unfortunately, Mary Matthews has passed away. So we can't get a statement from her, but certainly if anyone knows about this incident, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at the podcast, any of us, because we'd love to talk with you. Certainly other people may have spoken with Mary Matthews on this as well. Possibly. That's what we're hoping. Has anyone from the defense spoken to Mary Burns since the trial? What about her supervisor, Chris Salmon, or that other inmate she named during trial, Lindsay Caldwell? Well, we haven't been able to locate Burns or Salmon yet. And again... If Mary Burns or Chris Salmon is listening, we would love for you to contact us. I'm supposed to speak with Lindsay Caldwell this evening, but from the brief correspondence we've had, he doesn't recall the conversation happening and his, you know, some of the the things he said are in line with Darren Smart and Demetrius. During Mary's first statement, she talks a lot about Susan Claycomb and Jamie. She identified up to 10 conversations she had had with Susan and six with Jamie. She actually said a lot of things that were in defense of Jamie. Can you recap some of those? Well, Burns said in September 1999, when Susan was arrested, that Susan had told her at intake that she was pregnant and that she did not commit the crime. She said Susan said she didn't know why Jamie would lie because she doesn't ever remember being in a car with him. She denied ever being in a car with him. They both have denied being in a car together ever. She said Susan denied ever being in a car with Jamie about six to 10 times before trial. She also said Susan was a hall worker and recognized Jody Winkler and asked what he was there for. As far as the conversations with Jamie, she reported the two she testified to. Those were the conversations about Jamie thinking a male he rode in the car with did it, and the other about being chased by the cops when he was arrested. But there were four others. There was a third conversation with Jamie where he wondered why the state had someone on their witness list that he shared a cell with for eight hours after being processed for a prior case years earlier. 
There was a fourth conversation where Jamie supposedly discussed helping Jody Winkler and being upset that he would now turn on him. A fifth conversation about the Hendricks family and a supposed murder happening in which Mary admits she got wrong, but claimed Jamie said if Hendricks could get away with it in McLean County, then so could he. And a sixth where she said Jamie was Jamie was sick in his cell and told her it was over the crime scene photos he saw that day. Those last four conversations were not discussed at trial. You can kind of see how she had a lot to say. And then the state just like cherry picked the two that, you know, yeah, they didn't even muddled, use it, muddled it up. Yeah. And I don't know if Pitzel had a copy of this interview, so he would have never known. He could have questioned her about those other four things. Jamie explained that Mary was on his list as a defense witness because she could dispute Jody Winkler's testimony. You know, that guy who said Jamie somewhat confessed in a truck by the beach in the rain. Why do you think Jamie's attorney, Pitzel, did not contact Mary first? I mean, that's the question of the year, right? Why didn't he contact any of the state's witnesses at all? It's just another case to show his inability to put up a proper defense, to put it politely. Exactly. Leslie, how did the prosecution handle Mary on the stand? While Mary's questioning was very uneventful and rather short, I find it incredibly interesting that she was first approached about this case only a week and a half before she took the stand. She had a lot to say in that first interview, but when she got on the stand, she only gives information about two of the six conversations she had with Jamie, and she changes who was present. So she clearly turned from defense witness to state's witness very quickly. So to start, Renard just asks her to confirm she worked in the jail the same time Jamie was living there during the trials and to describe the conversations they had. She tried to describe the first conversation, which is the one where he supposedly confesses that he thinks he knows who did the murder, but she messes up and says two other inmates were also present at this time and then awkwardly exclaims, I want to recant. It was just Jamie and I. So it seems to me she can't get her story straight, and this is her first time testifying. So I'm thinking if continually questioned over time, she may not have been able to recall the details consistently, like all the other state's witnesses. But we don't know if Pitzel ever had a copy of that initial interview, so he might not have had that advantage because it was only eight days old and it might have been withheld. The other issue I noticed is that she told the jury that both of the conversations she had with Jamie with others present happened at her cubicle, even the one where they were watching cops. But during her police interview, she made a big deal out of clarifying that it was on the couch in front of the TV with Demetrius Crate present. But during trial, Demetrius is never mentioned as being present, and she says it was Lindsay Caldwell who heard the second conversation at her desk, where Jamie joked about running from the cops. And then that's it. That's all the state wanted to know. They didn't ask about anything else she told the cops about Susan or Jamie, always wondering why people would lie against him. Just those two things. So when looking at Jamie's trial then, how did the defense handle Mary on the stand? What was the quality of that questioning? On cross, Pitzel does his usual questioning to get it on record that Jamie never said he shot Bill Little or robbed the gas station himself or saw someone else do it. That was the main revelation he wanted. Interesting, when Mary had described the second conversation to both Renard and Pitzel, she said Lindsay Caldwell was there, but leaves out Darren Smart this time, and Demetrius Crates is never mentioned. So why didn't Pitzel ask her if Darren Smart was there, 
to account for why she mentioned his name in the first place so that he could get it on record that there was a supposed conversation with another witness present. She told the detectives he was there during her first interview. It's verified in his affidavit that the police approached him about it too. And then she mentions him briefly on the stand, but then she's not grilled about him at all. And that's a big opportunity missed by Pitzel. And then Mary is excused without being asked about her own history, why she left her job as a corrections officer to be a security guard, or what kind of reputation she has for truth and honesty. And I think those are big issues that were clearly missed here. And the last big opportunity that Pitzel missed was never calling her superior Chris Salmon to the stand. He could have asked him if Mary ever gave him the report, and it would have been very easy to call him since he still worked there. And we just have to wonder if this was another Pitzel screw-up where he didn't put him on the list in time. It had only been one year since the supposed second conversation, so surely he would have recalled it. And Pitzel obviously also didn't call the three other inmates named by Mary, Darren, Demetrius, or Lindsay. So overall, I think Mary didn't have anything that significant to say. It was just a story about Jamie thinking about who may have done it and a joke about running from the cops. But since Pitzel didn't have anything good to say either, what she said ended up mattering to the jury way too much. I mean, he should have hammered home that she all of a sudden said that it was that it was just her and Jamie. I, I mean, that's her story contradicts itself throughout the testimony even. Yeah, I mean, she says, I want to recant, which yeah. is like, that's like, you know. Um, Reminds of from eight days ago. Yeah, that's like weird verbiage to you. So she laid the foundation for that. So when he's cross-examining her, why didn't he just say, what are you talking about? I want to recant. Why? Who is this guy? Why did you mention him? Is there a third conversation he was involved in? Why would you bring him up? I mean, she, he, <laughs> none of that ever happens at all. I mean, it, it, you know, and I've always wondered if he wasn't working with the state on this, just because it's so, uh, it, I mean, that's just a huge red flag. I wonder if like Jamie was kicking him under the table. Like, you know, he said he was with so many other people. Man. Leslie, you mentioned in your first question that, as we know, this interview with her happened shortly before the trial. You said it's possible that Pitzel did not have her initial interview, a copy of that interview. Do we know anything about that? Is it po- is it really possible that he wouldn't have had that interview? I, I don't know. I caught that too, and that and that made me wonder. That may I'm definitely going to follow up on because that. this is a, a witness that could have easily been discredited immediately on the stand. And not that we think Pitzel's great at uh, his job, but it would have been an easy one for him. It would have been an easy one for him, but. What doesn't surprise me is that that he he may have had it because just as, for example, with Jeff Pilo or the others, I mean, there's inconsistent statements all over the place. It just seems like you would hand them those police reports and make them read them. <laughs> so oh, this yeah. is what you said yesterday. And now you're on the stand saying this. It's completely different. Is there anything to suggest that Pitzel just thought this witness didn't matter all that much? Not that I'm aware of, but I'll, I'm going to talk to Jamie today and I will definitely ask him about that. We invite any witness featured on the Snow Files podcast to come on the show to give their point of view or to clarify anything that they think might have been misstated. 
In episode 17, we heard how a young woman caught in love with her prisoner was leveraged to discredit Jamie's defense. Mary Burns was a McLean County Jail Corrections Officer with the inside scoop, as she often bantered with inmates during her overnight shifts. But days before Jamie's trial, she was approached by the state and switched from defense witness to state's witness overnight. Mary Burns resigned from her post for unknown reasons, testified against Jamie, and was never heard from again. If you have any information that may help Jamie, please call the tip line at 888-710-SNOW. There is a $10,000 reward for any information leading to a new trial or the exoneration of Jamie Snow. The tip line is free and confidential. Want to join the Jamie Snow support team? Become a patron for as little as $1 a month. Just go to snowfiles.podbean.com and click on Be My Patron on Podbean. All donors will have our undying appreciation and acknowledgement on the show. The highest tier donors will be invited to host a QI segment. Funds are used to cover our administrative costs and to keep Jamie in the media. Jamie's case was very salacious for a small town, and there were other women who got caught in the mix. Gal pals Bridget and Julie made up a story about Jamie's wife confessing at a bar, and Julie even gossiped about a possible second murder. Both of these stories made it into court. How did Bridget Logston and Julie Knight get away with it? That's next time on Snow Files.